What we're going to do, hopefully, over these, we have five weeks left for this semester before we break for the summer. And uh, this is a short series. This is not my idea. Our senior pastor, Dr. Reverend Bob Fuller, suggested that I do this. It's a, a short series, except for next week, answering a, a, such a generic question. Uh, I hope when you hear this, you don't just tune me out and say, ah, well, you know, there's, there's nothing in that. But uh, the question is something that all of us could potentially ask several times a day. And that is, sincerely, from our heart, Lord, what do you want me to do? Whether you're having to make some kind of a decision or, uh, you know, some family situation or how am I going to deal with this, managing, anything. We should, and there's the potential for us to cry out to the Lord every day, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because we want to do what the Lord wants us to do. That's, that's kind of a no-brainer. And uh, if you think ahead with me, and it, it, I've noticed people don't like to think about the eventual end of their life. I don't know why that is. None of us do. Uh, young people are oblivious. They don't even know it's coming. But when you get to a certain age, I don't know, maybe somewhere in your, your 40s, and it, it just becomes more evident and, and sooner, uh, you know, the further we go. I heard Haddon Robinson say once, he said, uh, you know, he was addressing a bunch of young people, and he said, you know, I, I don't have much time left. He says, uh, more sand has gone through my hourglass than that which remains. And that's just a, a visual picture to uh, remind us that uh, we're all running out of time. And here's the deal. We don't want to come to the end. If we have the luxury to uh, have our wits about us in the end, for instance, if we're dying uh, slowly, and uh, by the way, there are advantages to that. You know, we have time, you know, you're, you're in bed for a couple of weeks or months, and you know, you have time to pray and meditate. But in that time, during that time, we wouldn't want to have to come to the realization in ourselves and say, or ask then, Lord, have I really done what you wanted me to do? Because there's really not much we could do about it then. Now's the time when we're alive, awake, uh, awake alert, hopefully, if we're both those, uh, uh, awake and alert. Uh, awake, not woke. <laughs> awake, that's different. <laughs> Boy, woke's taking on a whole new thing. <laughs> I want to go back to sleep if, 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 if woke is what, uh, you know, the, the standard is now. Can you believe the stuff that's going on? So, even more so, in any time of my short time here on this planet, I think that Christians should be consumed with wanting to do what the Lord wants us to do. And every day, you will come across something, some situation, and if we know the scriptures, and this is the main thing, this is why we have to constantly be feeding on this, if the word of God is in your head and in your heart, as soon as you cry out to the Lord, and it doesn't have to be a formal prayer, you don't have to have a prayer request in a Sunday school class or, or during a Bible study or something, but as soon as you just, the desire of your heart is, Lord, what do you want me to do? And all of a sudden, these scriptural answers will begin to flood into your head and your heart and you can make the right decision. So I'm presuming that a class like this, in a church like this, we would all 
be on board for something like this. We, we want to do what the Lord wants us to do, right? That's, that's what I figured. And, and I guess Bob Fuller figured the same thing. He said, he said why don't you do a, a short study and answer some of those questions? Now, the thing is, there are so many scriptural answers, hundreds, if not thousands, of specific, simple answers to that one question. They're varied, depending on what your particular situation is. But in these next uh, five, now only four weeks, uh, well, just three after today, this introductory one, uh, which is a very generic kind of a one-size-fits-all type uh, answer, at least, hey, Chuck, I'm glad you're here. We're going to answer these questions uh, in, in a, in a uh, uh, hopefully, a setting, a, uh, a, a universal understanding that all of us will get something out of it. And I've, I've got a couple in my head that I would like to uh, share. This first one that we're going to look at today, answering this question, Lord, Lord, what do I want you to do? Because here, here's, uh, Chuck, this is how I set this up. None of us wants to come to the end of our life and say, Lord, did I do what you wanted me to do? And then all of a sudden we start feeling the conviction that we didn't. <laughs> you should have done this. You should have done this. How come you were so harsh and bitter and unforgiving? And... Uh, <laughs> The time to deal with it. I mean, you know, of course, we can pray and we can repent. That's a good thing about having some. And by the way, all of us do not have that luxury. What if we are taken in the middle of our sleep? And, you know, you go to bed at night and just never wake up. Sudden car accidents, catastrophes, strokes, heart attacks, you know, brain aneurysms. I mean, there's a, a, more than a thousand ways to die. And uh, all of us are going to experience one of them. It's going to work for us. So... Blessed is the one who can say on his deathbed, Lord, I did what you wanted me to do. And let me just caution and say this is not a statement of pride or arrogance or that we've earned our own salvation, but we have this, this gentle, sweet peace that at least we tried. It's, it's, it's better than uh, coming to the end and feeling that sting of conviction where we know we should have done what the Lord wanted us to do, but just because of our own selfish, uh, carnal mentality, or unwillingness, or ignorance of the word, there's a variety of things. We want to come to the end and be able to say, Lord, I did what you wanted me to do. So, to introduce this, there's one verse. Boy, you talk about a great Old Testament verse uh, with a three-point sermon built into it. It's in the book of Micah. And you probably already know where I'm going if you know your scriptures. Micah chapter 6, verse number 8. Someone has a good reading voice. Who would like to read that one verse? And maybe, maybe the verse before it, Micah 6, verses 7 and 8. Now, as it is with all narrative scriptures, we're lifting a verse that we want to accentuate out of a larger context, a larger narrative, and, you know, we could spend a whole lot of time, but we don't have that much time, so we just want to get to the three-point sermon, okay? <laughs> That's what you got this morning. Three-point sermon, no poem, <laughs> just got a three-point sermon. So, if you've got a good, uh, if you feel led, if your Bible's open, anybody locked and loaded, you want to read, read those verses? Ron, you look like you're ready. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rain? 
ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. There it is. A three-point sermon answering the question that we will use to introduce this short semester-ending series for the end of this semester this year. Lord, what do you want me to do? I can't help but notice that uh, this, this was the, uh, the first one to come to my mind because the prophet says, he has shown you, O oh man. And it's as if, you know, you know, prophets were not always coming up with something new. Very often they were repeating what was in the Decalogue. They, they were, or, or the, uh, uh, the Pentateuch, you know, the, the Law and the Prophets, the Law. You know, the first five books of Moses, everybody was always going back and quoting from there. That, that's kind of the original Word of God. And uh, it's, it's still good, still works. So uh, these precepts, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Uh, Ron, what was that verse? Uh, you didn't say do justly, you said do, do to do justice. Yeah, you, know, you know, the glory, some people get uptight about different translations, but actually different translations show the wonder and the depth and the different facets. You know, like facets on a diamond, I'm not a jeweler, you know, but I've seen a diamond and when you twist that, just the, the different facets when the light hits it, the Word of God is like that. And uh, in God's providential sovereignty of uh, the inspiration of Scripture, He gives us the Old Testament in Hebrew, which is a one completely unique type of knowledge and method of communication. The New Testament in Greek and Aramaic, another completely different system of communication. The perfect languages for both Testaments. Wouldn't you know? <laughs> I mean, you know, stuff like this, it'll... It'll almost make you think the Lord knew what he was doing. It's, it's, we say facetiously, we know that he knew what he was doing. So as the prophets throughout all of the major and minor prophets, and Micah is one of the minor prophets, and we should always remind you, minor does not in any way depreciate their scriptural value. They're only called minor because their books are shorter. That's all. Now, <laughs> Isaiah He's a major prophet. He's major for more than one reason. I mean, he's, uh, you know, I've got to tell you one thing. This is, this is kind of sometimes to just get a little aside. I, uh, sometimes I, I like to listen to uh, uh, Jewish type things. And I, I found a couple of YouTube videos of uh, various rabbis that were just com commenting on things. And I like rabbis. You know, rabbis are, are, are from the same book that we are from. They're just ignoring one of the most important parts of it, the New Testament. And, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, they, they're good with, with some of the things that they say. They're incomplete, but they're good. But I was listening to one guy a couple of weeks ago who, uh, he had a chip on his shoulder, and he uh, had a problem with Christians. And, and his problem was, uh, you know, his whole 20-minute spiel on the, the YouTube was, Christians think they see Jesus everywhere in the Old Testament. And he said, look, you're not going to find him anywhere. And I thought, does, does this guy know what he's saying? Has he ever read the 53rd of, of Isaiah? And, uh, uh, of course, what he was really uh, peeved about was uh, 
the uh, pre things that we would recognize as a pre-incarnate appearance of, of Jesus. You know, the angel of the Lord. He says, whenever the angel of the Lord appears, Christians say, there's Jesus, there's Jesus. And I'm saying, yeah, okay, well, so what? <laughs> it could be. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> Yeshua HaMashiach, yeah, that's, that's him. But, uh, and then I was thinking, you know, of course, all the verses come to our mind. The, 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 you know, the, the devil of this world had blinded their eyes. And how could they be so, I mean, these are educated people. But how could they miss what is so clear and apparent? And it's, it's, it's not our business, but it's the Lord's business. And uh, he'll take care of everything. And what he does will be absolutely perfect. That's a good, comforting fact to just uh, selah about. You know, selah, like you read in the Psalms, just think about it. Let it sink in. Meditate on it a while. So this is the first thing that we're going to continue, and, and we're already uh, not almost out of time, but at least, you know, the good thing about our Sunday school class, you don't have to worry about a long-winded sermon. <laughs> that long wind is going to be cut off at a certain time. Next church service has to start, so we're not going to get too carried away. And by the way, I have to say one more thing. A lot of you know that uh, our family has just went through this unspeakable tragedy that I don't want to think about or talk about, but I'm going to tell you this church has been such a sufficient place of grace and healing. And uh, I just thank God that we were here when this happened because there's, there's other churches I could have been involved in where the, uh, the counsel, the advice would have been... Uh, insufficient. But here it just seems to have been so much, and, and especially Don and Judy, you two, and Ron, you know, because you, and, and you know, there may be others that have went through a similar thing like this, but, uh, you know, for, for your advice and loving and compassionate counsel uh, has, has, has really helped us and continues to help us. So that's a little commercial for First Press right here in the middle of this. <laughs> I should have said, now a word from our sponsor, but <laughs> it's not our sponsor. It's our church, and we love our church, don't we? Man, I'm so glad to be here. I feel as much in this church and the will of God as Noah must have felt when he was building a boat. And that's a, that's a good feeling. So, the word of the Lord, hear it. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. Now, I'm going to tell you again. This is an answer to a question, and here, this is a, a threefold answer to this simple question. And in a variety of situations, you may want to apply the doing justly or doing justice. Uh, that other verse you read, love kindness, and in, in, in some verses, it's love mercy. Love mercy, ESV, love kindness. Right, and, and to walk humbly with thy God. Now, I just want to make a, a brief observation on these three things and how generically applicable they are. There's never a time when the child of God in our business or in our interaction with anybody would not want to do justly. It's just a, uh, it's kind of a no-brainer. But there's something, there's some efficacy, there's some therapeutic benefit in our hearing the Word of God with the heart that's open to it you know, usually we pray before our, our Sunday school starts, and I forgot. Let's just pray right now. Father, help us, Lord, to always take your word seriously, and let these words of life so saturate our soul, O oh Lord,
that we hunger for it, Lord. We hunger and thirst for these words of wisdom and directions, Lord, for things you want us to do and how you want us to act and react. I pray, Father, you'd always help us to take it serious and do those things which are pleasing in your sight. We agree together and say, Amen. Amen. So, to do justly, it's never a wrong time uh, to do the right thing. There are, as you know, a myriad of circumstances where you'll have a chance to do the wrong thing. Yeah, I can get away with this. You know, we, we just came through tax season. Hey, maybe I can, maybe I can do this. You know, I pay a CPA a lot of money just to make sure that what I do is right. But I also pay her for the same reason. I don't want to pay a nickel more than I have to. I want to render to Caesar what's Caesar's, but not a split cent more. If there's a legitimate deduction, if there's a way, and that's why I pay a CPA a lot of money because my, my uh, you know, the work that I still do on the side, it complicates everything. And frankly, I don't want to take the time to learn how to do it. And I, I would mess it up. And I think when you submit something that has a little CPA next to it, maybe the, the IRS will say, yeah, we're not going to mess with him. And, and besides, it's, uh, uh, there, there's not enough money you know, for them to really nitpick over. So, to do justly. That's generic. We're always supposed to do the right thing. I really wanted to spend more time on these uh, second two, to love mercy or to love kindness and to walk humbly with thy God. This next one, to love mercy. The, the Hebrew word is a weighty, heavy word. It's the word chesed. Yes, you heard me, chesed. I know in this time a COVID, we probably shouldn't quote too many Hebrew words because it sounds like we're cleaning our throat. Chesed. But that's how you say it. That's how the Jews say it. Chesed. And chesed is, is a combined word. It's it, 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 simple, short in Hebrew, but translates into loving kindness. And it is an attribute of God. It is a fruit of the Spirit. Of course, if we are tapped into the true vine, which is Jesus Christ, I think it was Spurgeon who said, oh, what rich fruit we branches can bear when we're tapped into that rich vine who is the Lord Jesus. Don't you just love, man, I wish I could talk like that, uh, like Spurgeon. Oh, I could, you knew, you know, if you ever heard me say something like that, you'd have to say, he's quoting somebody else. He's, <laughs> he doesn't know how to talk like that. And I don't, but I've been, I've been blessed to read people and to be able to uh, quote them when they say it. And I'm glad to give them the credit. And Spurgeon is certainly one who is quote worthy. So it isn't just to do something merciful once in a while. You know, we are, we are uh, uh, so ready to justify ourselves. Even when you're hearing a sermon or a teaching or you're discussing a verse and you hear something about love, mercy, uh, most of us can say, yeah, I do that been there, done that. I love mercy. You know, I, I was at the H-E-B yesterday and there was a thing there for the kids with spinal bifida and I chucked a quarter in their little plastic things. So I'm all right. And uh, we can do a merciful kind thing once in a while. But this verse here, I would say to love mercy, to be a person of chesed and loving kindness, it's much more than just doing something once in a while. It's really an internal, something in your internal being of what you are. 
If you are this, if you pray, Lord, this is what I want to be. I just don't want to do something once in a while to make me feel like I'm, I'm doing what you want me to do. I want to be what you want me to be. You remember those army ads from 20, 30 years ago trying to get kids to enlist? Be all you can be. Well, I think as God's people, we ought to be all we could be. You know, I, I used to always see sermons in, 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 in uh, billboards, and uh, I still do. You know, uh, advertisers spend millions of dollars to get our money to buy whatever thing that they're selling, which we usually don't need, but they're so skilled in selling this stuff and, and making us think we need it, we, we buy into it. So after they spend all that money, I see sermon content right there. I, I, I especially love the one for the, for the Marines a couple of years ago. <laughs> we don't accept applications only commitments. Uh, God bless our Marines. I mean, isn't that great? But, you know, you know, I mean, I can hear Jesus saying something like that. You know, you coming to me? <laughs> we don't accept application, only commitments. And that's really true of the gospel. So as we've signed on or responded to God's amazing and irresistible grace that he gives to us, we are signing on and saying, yes, Lord, not only will I do the right thing all the time, as, as much as I can, and really we know when we're not doing the right thing. Who of us have ever done the wrong thing when we didn't have that tinge, even it's a little bit of excitement that, eh, we'll get away with something here. Uh, it does feel good. Why is it that there's a thrill in that? Well, that's a demonically inspired thrill of breaking a commandment of God, and the devil wants you to feel good about it. So if you're feeling too good about something, you need to check your heart and uh, say, Lord, search my heart. And let me know if I'm, you know, not, not that it's a bad thing to feel good, but you know, you know when it's a questionable thing. I mean, if we're, if we're wrapped tight, if all of our wires are connected, we know when the, we're doing the wrong thing and we know when we're doing the right thing that is pleasing to the Lord. And we sign up for that. You know, I, I like to go back to what they said uh, just before Moses went up to the mountain and uh, came down with the Ten Commandments. And they told him the same thing after he came down. You know, the children of Israel are there in the wilderness. God, Moses, man of God, bringing that face is glowing. Had to put a bag over his face because they couldn't handle the Shekinah glory just reflecting off Moses' face. And he came back and they said, all that the Lord has said we will do. Well, that's kind of what God expects us to say. After all, he's given us so much more in this New Testament of God's grace with the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So it is required of us that we will do justly, and it is required of us that we will not just do something merciful once in a while, but we'll love it. I remember a pastor, a friend of mine, probably been 20 years ago, we were talking about church things that we do, maybe something like uh, the CAM ministry here across the street. And, uh, you know, there's always people that want to say, we're giving them too much. We're doing too much for them. They're not doing anything for themselves. And I know, and we're not going to try and get into that now. But what this friend of mine said uh, just stabbed me, cut me to the heart, and I've never forget it. He's a pastor friend of mine. And he said, Paul, he said, when we stand before the Lord, do you think the Lord will ever accuse us of being too compassionate? And I thought of that. Uh, it's better to err on the side 
of more compassion than taking the risk of not being compassionate enough. And I've thought about that for 20 years. I mean, a variety of situations. You know, is the Lord ever going to accuse me and uh, discredit me for showing too much compassion? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, we can never. And, and this, this is the thing about loving mercy. If you love to do merciful things, you're not going to run the risk of being too compassionate. And that's not a bad thing to be found guilty of, to love mercy and to do the things that he wants us to do, not just because we're doing it, but because it's what we are. It's part of our being. It's in our spiritual DNA, which has been gloriously transformed after our God-given regeneration. So, are we all on the same page? Are we, uh, is this, does this sound okay so far? Uh, the remaining three that we'll do after our combined, uh, if, if anyone came in late and you weren't here, next Sunday we're going to have a combined class with Mitchell's class because of a Jordanian pastor who is starting a church. Ron, tell me again, is he starting a church in San Antonio? Probably going to be somewhere up around Wurzbach and 10 because that seems to be where little Jordan is. I mean, you know, you got all them Arab uh, restaurants and meat markets and stuff up there, the people walking on the street. I mean, it's kind of like you're in a different country. If you've ever been up there around, you know, Wurzbach and 10, you know, between uh, 10 and the medical center, a lot of, uh, I don't know, you know, I, I don't get nervous when I'm around Hindus. You know, you go check into a hotel, you know, Hindus are very peaceable people, but I don't know, sometimes if you're around Muslims, they, they just make me a little bit nervous. I know the, you know, the, the Hindus, they're going to be nice, you know, because they're worried about their reincarnation. They want to come back as something good. And Muslims, <laughs> they want to get to paradise. They'll blow you up if they, if they have to just to make sure they get there. So <laughs> there is something to be nervous about. And, and folks, we're talking about religion. This is, this is a real thing. We're not just making this up. So the final thing that we'll consider as we wind down this morning is uh, walking humbly with God. Uh, why would the prophet be inspired to tell us to walk humbly with our God? Well, consider, if you will, the fact that pride is endemic in the heart, in our depraved hearts. We're proud about things before we're regenerated, and we're proud about things after we are regenerated. We're proud that we're Christians. We're proud that we're Presbyterian. We're proud that we're Baptist. We're proud that we're Episcopalian or some other kind of alien. We're, we're, we're glad of what we are. We're proud. We're, and what do we have to be proud about? God hates pride. I, I like to remind people that, you know, when, and you could smell it coming all the time. You know, sometimes it manifests itself in that stank of conceit. You know what conceit is? It's the disease that makes everybody sick except the person that has it. Everybody around a conceited person is sick of them. It's that stench of their self-praise, except the person that has it. <laughs> Man, they just think they're all that. And uh, what's especially repulsive is the fact that as Christians who walk with God, we have almost this elevated opinion that, yeah, I've been chosen. I'm 
one of the elect. As if the Lord is benefiting his kingdom because he chose us. And uh, it's just a, a very prideful self-aggrandizement that stinks in the nostrils of God. Let me give you a, uh, a quote from Matthew Henry a uh, couple of hundred years ago, uh, dated in his verbose commentary, but it's uh, still good stuff. Uh, he gives us this insight into what the Lord values. Quote, we must, in the whole course of our conversation, conform ourselves to the will of God, keep up our communion with God, and study to approve ourselves to him, every thought within us must be brought down to be brought into obedience to God. This is that which God desires and without which the most costly services are vain oblations. Now I told you he's kind of verbose. He's talking about walking humbly with God. Uh, none of us has anything to be proud about. Uh, the fact that God chose us in his mercy. And look, I'm, I'm in the midst of studying the intricacies of Reformed theology right now. I love it. I love what I'm getting out of it. And for me, I'm, I'm contrasting it with so much other stuff, other stuff that I've read over the years. And I see that, that this theocentric, God-centered way of looking at things is really superior. And I mean, really, again, who can argue with the sovereignty of God? Who can say, ah, wait, <laughs> no. No one's gonna raise a finger and say, oh, wait a minute, Lord God Almighty, I, I don't think he got that right. No, God does everything right. The judge of all the earth will always do right. And our walking humbly with him is just a, another way to express Lord, you've chose me. You got something you want me to do. You got something you want me to be, and I want to be it. I want to be all you want me to be. And it does take some of our uh, energy. You know, there are Christian uh, disciplines and things that we're called to do that don't just happen. We have to work on them. Uh, they won't happen unless you make it happen. Well, I want to be more patient. Well, you, you know when you start praying for it, what may happen. You, you may get that which develops patience. What does the Bible say develops patience? Tribulation worketh patience. And then, you know, the not-so-smart person who says, I want patience and I want it now. Well, you just can't get it that fast. You know, I, I need it right now. You know, <laughs> the time to pray for patience is not when you're the 15th one back in the line at the airport and your plane is fixing to leave. That's not the time to pray for patience and, or, or scream either. It's, it's, it's just not going to do you any good at all. So here's our introductory uh, study into this short and uh, not really profound study. But there's the final three things that we'll look at. I think will be usable to you. I think there'll be things that if these scriptural, simple answers to the question, Lord, what do you want me to do? You'll, you'll find ways to apply these things. And I'll even tell you this, two weeks from now, I'm going to discuss one of the most, if not the most quoted verse in scripture. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. So 
If the Lord, in his sovereign operation of your mind and your conscience, wakes you up Wednesday night and you begin to wonder, what is the verse? Just think about the verses that you've heard quoted all of your Christian life. Which one do you think you've heard quoted the most? I'm not going to say anymore. That's the... That's the trying to do the same thing they do at the end of the soap operas when they get you to tune in tomorrow. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Now, you see, Chuck, you're already jumping ahead, and uh, that's what I thought. And I'm not going to tell you that's not right. But I'm not going to tell you that's wrong. But uh, that's exactly, that's the first one I thought. And it could be. It could be. But if I told you that, well, then would, there'd be no more tension. And you'd say, oh, well, we can, we can sleep in that way. I don't guess anybody has any questions about anything.